Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. As always, you can find my newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Mark Cuban is a run seeker. Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 262. Mark Cuban had quite the encounter with Bitcoiners on Saturday. What was astonishing wasn't his opposition to Bitcoin or even his promotion of Doge. But the very fact that he doesn't understand what Bitcoin or anything in the entire cryptocurrency space actually is. For a guy that prides himself on funding early stage companies, shouldn't he have a little more of an idea of what he's investing in? As a high profile VC, doesn't he do due diligence? Indeed, this is one of those myths that VCs promote. The dirty secret of venture capital is that there's relatively little due diligence going on. The vast majority of what VCs do is network specifically with other VCs so that they can get in on the best deals. This is why certain companies are oversubscribed significantly while others can't get any interest. VCs will pay huge premiums to pile in on winners. This may seem very strange since VCs complain so much about deal flow. The fact is that there are plenty of companies to evaluate. What VCs are really complaining about is the lack of oversubscribed deals that they can get in on. Oversubscribed simply means that there are more investment dollars willing to invest than there is space to accommodate them. Generally, deals like this are led by big-time VCs, like Sequoia or A16Z. In other words, Venture capital is a popularity contest with just a few VCs doing real due diligence and the rest of them that get in line as quickly as possible. The VC dynamic is thus really centralized. Despite many differences, different firms investing in many different industries, everything flows through a few kingmakers. Despite the level, uh, appearance of a level playing field where anyone with a good idea can get funded, it's really not. Like anything centralized, there's a particular one best way to do things. There's a whole culture of presenting your deck, finding a lead investor, networking, etc., which have little to do with the actual business. VCs essentially function as gatekeepers to capital. In that sense, VCs function much more like banks than they do advisors or investors that they present themselves as. Though they take equity, the capital they invest functions much more like debt in that the companies they fund ultimately are obligated to them. Should a company run out of money, any assets they have typically go to the VCs, for example. In other words, VC investments are functionally like high-risk loans. Most fail, but the few that hit make up for those that fail. The highly centralized venture capital system is like most forms of debt, where impressions matter. This is why there's so much time and energy spent on appearances. Most startup CEOs spend an inordinate amount of time raising money. They're constantly taking meetings, working on their deck, going to networking events, and working on leads. Navigating the venture capital space is difficult, not unlike navigating bureaucracy. The problem with venture capital, like debt, is that this centralization is deeply inefficient. The system selects for people that can navigate the VC world and not necessarily those who are good at making profitable businesses. 
The failure rates ju show just how inefficient it all is, and VCs are only saved by pumping the hell out of the few that succeed. If you doubt me, just think about all the labor and capital going into startups that produce zero value. That's a lot of talent that's going towards either bad ideas or good ideas that are executed badly. Which is why the arrogance that people like Mark Cuban display is just so weird. It's an arrogance born of skills like bureaucratic wrangling, not value added to others through goods and services. Put another way, he thinks he's a good entrepreneur when in fact he's a good rent seeker. Mark Cuban has lived in a time when rent seeking is like this is very profitable, a consequence of our move to pure fiat money 50 years ago. Debt in a central bank-backed fiat monetary system requires someone to dispense the newly printed money, and he's part of that class. His wealth is due to him being a kingmaker, a class distinction we don't learn about in the fiat realm. Therefore, it's no surprise that he thinks he can make Doge King by supporting him. After all, in the fiat VC world, he can and does do this all the time. What he doesn't get is that Bitcoin will completely obsolete him and his entire industry because it's going to be a savings-based economy. Businesses will have to run not on debt provided by the likes of him, but on savings which people can accumulate themselves. A savings-based economy is much more efficient because capital allocation is done by those that earned it. Furthermore, there are no gatekeepers like him when it comes to savings, so the market becomes much more a meritocracy and not a navigate the VC's game. In other words, a savings-based economy is decentralized as opposed to the debt-driven economy that we have that is centralized. This means a lot more opportunity and a lot more businesses starting. The irony of it all is that people like Cuban think they're helping create more businesses. In a limited sense, they are because the newly printed money has to go somewhere and they're trying. But the deeper reality is that the system itself is horribly unjust and inefficient and a drag on civilization. The nice thing is that Bitcoin fixes systems like this. Not only does a Bitcoin standard mean founders don't have to bend the knee to VCs, but it also means that we'll have much better products and services. And people like Cuban will have to add value instead of just rent seek on Doge. So I wrote this after uh, Mark Cuban's very interesting interaction with the Bitcoin community. I, I watched his tweets. I wasn't able to be on the Twitter spaces where he apparently kind of made a fool of himself, uh, showing how little he knew about the whole thing. He he seems like a marketing guy, thinking that marketing triumphs everything. Um, and to some degree in the VC world, that, that is kind of true. Um, if you market the hell out of something, you can usually overcome any sort of perceived deficiencies in something. He just doesn't get that Bitcoin is something completely different and that he's out of his depth. So um, that's what led me to write this. I've been wanting to rant about venture capitalists for a while anyway. So um, yeah, that, that, that's what led to this article. It, it really is kind of a very weird system where venture capitalists are the capital allocators for startups. And the fact that they do so badly, uh, that most of their businesses don't succeed and that the few that do end up becoming you know, the tech giants that rule over everybody else just 
goes to show what kind of system it is. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Michael Folkson has posted about the regularity of softworks. This post is in light of the fight around the activation method for Taproot, which led to a lot of esoteric arguments and some bad feelings. His main point is that soft work should be done infrequently and only with community consensus. I thought the post was well-reasoned and well-thought-out. I'm not sure we'll have another soft work after this one, given just how difficult the last one was. But then again, that was the case in 2017, too. So, uh, you know, Folkson wrote this. I think he, he wanted people to calm down a little bit first before he proposed this. But I thought his points were pretty solid. Uh, he doesn't think that... We should do like softworks uh, frequently or something like that. It's it's more on like sort of, you know, do it when there's consensus and infrequently um, because of so many of the issues that that were revealed in this last round. And I think I agree with him, though. You know, if it is kind of going to be big, I I don't know how much support there's going to be and so on. Some researchers have proven the security of the MUSIG signature scheme. The paper is interesting, not just because they've proven the security of MUSIG, but because of a new algorithm, MUSIG2, which apparently is faster. It's great to see academic papers like this advance the art, and given the aggregability of Stringer signatures, I suspect there are more and better methods still to be discovered. Um, yeah, uh, it was uh, written uh, by a few women that are in the academic space, and they came up with this nice optimization. I also thought the paper was pretty good for giving us a way to analyze the security of something like music, um, and they, they did a very good job. So exciting stuff as academia gets more involved uh, in Bitcoin. ION is a decentralized identifier that stores its data on the Bitcoin blockchain. The article from Bitcoin Magazine is a great summary of what they're trying to achieve as some sort as using some sort of identity authority is inherently fragile and adds a bunch of moral hazards due to the use of a third party. Because Bitcoin is decentralized, building an identity on it makes a lot of sense. That said, there's still some controversy around whether this is polluting the blockchain or not. Um, Ion is a project from Microsoft, and there's uh, they they're basically building a decentralized identifier, some sort of like way to identify yourself uh, using the Bitcoin blockchain as as a way to anchor all of that data. Um, it's a very interesting idea, um, but you know, like, is identity enough of a benefit to put it on something like the Bitcoin blockchain? I don't know that this is where it gets very, very tricky. And uh, well, I, I think the market will eventually settle this. Uh, congrats to Marco Falke, who has gotten an extension of his developer grant from OKCoin. They've certainly stepped up their support of Bitcoin the past few years, and I'm glad to see them continue down this path. So um, they've been supporting a lot of different developers um, through it, and uh, they, they've uh, provided scholarships for my course and so on. So it's really great to see what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I, I hope they continue because it's it's pretty awesome. And they certainly make a lot of money off of Bitcoin. Might as well uh, you know, support it at least a little bit. Lightning, uh, Strike now has a direct deposit payment Bitcoin option. The idea is that you can direct deposit your check to Strike and convert some percentage to Bitcoin automatically. This is inspired by what Russell Kung did last year with the Panthers. 
He did incredibly well with that decision, which other athletes have since emulated. Now anyone can do the same. So uh, Russell, if you remember, uh, used Strike as a way to get paid in Bitcoin. Essentially, um, the paycheck went to Strike and Strike paid Russell in Bitcoin. Now you can do the same. Um, you're, you don't have to get 100% of your paycheck in Bitcoin. You could get 50%, 10%, whatever. Um, it's a great way to dollar cost average. And yeah, uh, like set it and forget it kind of thing, uh, like as with most uh, DCA type uh, endeavors. Max Webster explains why VC should look at Lightning. The article goes through all of the growth statistics, including the exponential growth of Lightning. Sadly, VCs these days are addicted to very lucrative DeFi and NFT investments, which they can dump on retail much earlier. So though the article is great and accurate, I don't know if this will get VCs off their tremendously profitable addiction. So VCs, uh, you know, as, as I talked about earlier, they, they really are kind of have... Rent-seeking mentality in many ways. So, um, you know, DeFi and NFT—they are completely at home on those, um, and they—they they are making so much money off of those. And um, you know, retail will be the ones to suffer, uh, but they're—they're they're gonna continue to get to do this. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether uh, you know articles like this actually influence VCs to. Um, you know, invest in Lightning or whether there are some good VCs out there that will fund this stuff. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see. Bobby Shell shows how Lightning can prevent censorship like YouTube did to Pomp earlier this week. Pomp's channel was censored for some unknown reason in much the same way that a lot of channels have been censored this past year and a half. Lightning is decentralized, so content like videos can easily be hosted and paid for via Lightning. The bigger challenge is that consumers are used to free, so there has to be some method of monetization that's direct to make lightning-based uncensorable content work. So, uh, you know, there there is this potential for Web 3.0. The question is, are consumers willing to forego free to do it? Uh, lightning makes that a lot easier, but then again, how many people have lightning? I mean, there, there are people in the Bitcoin community, but it's not the norm by any means. It means sort of like a whole infrastructure change, I think, underneath, which I think is happening and will happen. It's just a matter of how quickly so that we can transition over. Raspi Blitz is now using C Lightning. They are, they are one of many node-in-a-box services, and it looks like there's some competition among different implementations to get on these devices. This reminds me of the default installed apps on various computers back in the late 90s. A lot more people will be buying these machines as Web 3.0 on Lightning Network takes off. So the software uh, being used will matter. So, um, yeah, I mean, C Lightning obviously has like a particular plugin architecture. LND does as well. I'm sure Eclair does. Um, but yeah, it, th this is starting to matter and people are starting to see where this is going. And yeah, I mean, they're going to be part of the infrastructure and we'll see how it all shakes out. But I suspect this stuff will matter significantly going forward. Economics, engineering, etc. Avic Roy has per uh, perhaps the best argument for Bitcoin from a policy perspective that I've ever seen. The article is pretty long and goes through the rationale for Bitcoin and links it strongly to the loose monetary policy of the last 30 years. The argument isn't new per se, but the fact that a take this thorough and well-reasoned is in a major magazine like National Affairs was quite surprising. 
I suspect there are a lot more Bitcoiners everywhere than we are led to believe. Um, so I suspect Avic is uh, is a huge Bitcoiner and has been chomping at the bit to write something like this for that magazine. I'm glad it's out there. A lot of people will read it, but it's a very, very long. Well, not it's a very good argument. Um, it's also very long, but uh, but I, I was surprised at the depth that it went into and the subtlety of the arguments and so on. Um, very good job, Avic. Alex Gladstein writes about the ideals of the cypherpunks and how that eventually led to Bitcoin. This is an important piece to understand why Bitcoin has the values that it does. The piece focuses a lot on Adam Back and shows how privacy was a big part of the ethic of the cypherpunks. The article looks through all the predecessors of Bitcoin, including eCash and Bitgold. Though the article doesn't mention altcoins, the clear implication for me was that Bitcoin had a very different origin story, one that is unlikely to be repeated. Uh, so Alex, as always, has written another fantastic piece. This one is sort of like the culture around Bitcoin and where it came from, the original cypherpunks and so on. Um, very unlike sort of like the corporate VC image that we're getting out of a lot of these altcoins and so on. It really is a very different beast. Um, reminds me of something like Linux versus Microsoft or something to that effect. Alex Vetsky continues his 12 Rules for Life series with an essay about making friends with people who want the best for you. Essentially, the article is an apologia for toxicity. What some call toxic is really good critical feedback, which is characteristic of real friendship. The real point for me in this article is not the defense of toxicity, though that was good, but more the emphasis on community. As we progress toward citadels and the like, authentic community will likely become a staple. So, um, you know, Alex has been going through the 12 rules and just sort of um, casting it in the light of uh, what's going on in Bitcoin. And I, I thought the article is really good. It, it does point out that. You know, what people call toxicity is just, you know, authentic authenticity that they're not used to. We're, we're in such sort of like a artificial whitewashed like uh, fiat world that we, we don't recognize when people are giving us good feedback and, and so on. Nick Carter explains how Bitcoin is reshaping the entire energy grid. The piece reads like a reflection based on what Ted Cruz said last week. His main point is that the entire energy market is shifting and changing due to the presence of Bitcoin and that very few people seem to be getting this. As with a lot of innovations, the revolution in energy production will be obvious in retrospect, but under the radar to most during the process. We're definitely in the middle of that changeover. So uh, Nick's piece was really good. Uh, it pointed out that like the entire energy market is changing and for the better. It, a lot of different problems in the energy sector are being solved by Bitcoin, you know, you stranded energy and unequal loads and things like that. So um, his article is just pointing out the obvious that this is changing stuff. Uh, but a lot of people in the energy sector, or, or at least the people on the outside of the energy sector don't seem to be getting this at all. And they are completely missing the giant revolution uh, that, that that's happening there. Um, but, you know, as with many innovations, it'll be very obvious in retrospect. A Bitcoin ETF this week looks very likely. The SEC generally doesn't explicitly approve anything, but rather implicitly approves it by not disapproving it. Given that uh, the time to disapprove is running out and all the paperwork around a couple of ETFs are being filed 
By all sorts of entities, there seems to be good reason to believe they'll go live, perhaps even as soon as this letter this newsletter arrives in your inbox. This is huge for institutional investors as it'll be easier to allocate a portion of their funds to an ETF than a bearer asset. So I will be um, possibly receiving, uh, releasing a podcast based on this. But yeah, an ETF looks very, very likely. Uh, by the time you watch this video, maybe it's already gone live. RW has a practical guide to mining at home. This is not something I've thought much about since 2014 or so, but the price is so high that this may actually make sense for a lot of people. The main upside is that there's much greater privacy and that the price is at something of a discount. The downside is that it's slow accumulation and managing the ASICs is itself work. If privacy is really important to you, this may be a great way to get your hands on some non-KYC coins. Um, of course, it only works at a certain scale. You, you need to be able to afford a whole machine uh, or multiple machines and those suckers are allowed and managing it and connecting to pools and managing your account and doing it in a non-KYC way is not trivial. Um, so there, there's a bunch of considerations uh, for for you, but you know it may very well be something that you might wanna do. So you know, uh, take it into account, especially if you live in a cold weather city. I, I, I used to run miners and uh, the room that it was in always got really, really hot. Some quick hits, Vancouver is going to heat their homes using Bitcoin mining. So that's another mining story. Apparently there's a startup that's going to help uh, Vancouver homes heat themselves using some heat from mining. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, they, they are slightly cooler. Uh, than here it is in, uh, than it is in Texas. Venezuela is taking Bitcoin payments at their airport. So obviously the Bolivar stinks uh, and they are, I, I guess there's enough people with Bitcoin coming in or going out that you know some of the fees can be paid in Bitcoin, which may or may not be useful. US is now uh, the most, ha US now has the most hash rate. Uh, so a lot of, um, hash rate has left China and uh, it's resettled in the U.S. So that means that the U.S. is now the hashing capital of the world, it looks like. Time magazine has a feature on black Bitcoiners. Um, you know, Time's not really known for getting their hands dirty on Bitcoin. Uh, the, the last article I remember was like outing a random guy as Satoshi and it was a complete disaster. So um, you know, uh, very interesting article, um, you know, showing things from a slightly different perspective. And there are a lot of black Bitcoiners. So, uh, we'll, you know, good on them for at least trying, um, though, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, about Bitcoin they actually understand. Titan Mining explains how Venezuelans are benefiting from Bitcoin mining. Another Venezuela story, uh, but basically there's a bunch of miners in Venezuela that are mining Bitcoin and they are able to survive and thrive uh, in some ways, uh, despite all of the currency debasement that's going on by Bitcoin mining. Some Ethereum users spent $430,000 in gas fees and the transaction didn't go through. This is one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about Ethereum. You have to pay gas fees whether your contract goes through or not. And if you don't have enough, then it's, it's not enough. You, you just It just reverts to its previous state. And that's what happened to that guy. It's a lot of money to spend on fees, but hey, that's what, you, what happens when you have stupid Turing completeness uh, in your smart contract platform. All right, some events. I will be in Atlanta for TabConf November 4th through 6th. 
the programming blockchain seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia on November 2nd and 3rd. That's right before TabCon. This is a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin and you can apply uh, at programmingbitcoin.com. I also have a few scholarships available for those that can't afford it. That is also, uh, the link is also there at programmingbitcoin.com. Uh, let's see, on um, this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Big Al about DeFi. We covered what, the, what that whole sector is, why it's neither decentralized nor finance, and why he thinks it will inevitably collapse in a huge way. Um, I also read through last week's uh, newsletter, which you can find. Um, I talked about Bitcoin with a podcast called The Trader's View. And here is, of course, the new book. Thank God for Bitcoin. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin. Uh, Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat Delenda S, this song is done. <laughs>